0: If you have a Bible, could you open with me to Matthew chapter 27? Matthew 27, and we're going to read from verse 33 through to verse 37. And while you're getting it, I'm just going to pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we've already spent in your presence. We thank you for the songs of Zion that have been sung. And Lord, we pray that, Father, the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart They would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. But Father, thank you that on this beautiful night we have freedom to come into this church. And Lord, I would ask you, even in this night, such a night as this, that Father, you would do a work through the power of the Holy Spirit that only you can do. And that is the convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. Lord, I do pray, Father God, that we would see Christ in all of his passion, and all of his glory. And that, Father, there's someone sitting under the sound of my voice, that, Lord, this tonight would be the gate of heaven for their souls if they are not saved. I ask these things, giving you thanks for Jesus' name's sake. And all of God's people said, Amen. amen. Matthew twenty-seven thirty-three to 37. And when they were come to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. They crucified him and they divided his garments, among them casting lots. Then they sat down and watched him there. And over his head they put a charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Verse 36 says, and sitting down, they watched him there. Friend, this verse tonight reveals two great truths for us. Number one, it reveals just how hard the human heart can be towards the Savior. In context, we're told "And sitting down, they watched him there. It speaks of indifference. It speaks of coldness. It speaks ultimately of hardness on the part of these Roman soldiers. Verse 35, Matthew tells us that they nailed our Lord's hands and feet to the cross. They lifted him up between heaven and earth, dropped the beam into its hole, tearing his very flesh and without a shred of consideration for how he was feeling or that of his mother and friends. We're told they sat down and gambled for the seamless robe that his mother had made for him. You know, friend, tonight if I read of the conduct of these hardened soldiers, it draws, I believe, a great parallel with the hearts of many men and women towards Christ in this our day. For you see, there are those in society who, unlike these ignorant Romans, cannot plead ignorance, for they have a full comprehension of who it was dying upon that middle cross. They understand perfectly that it was for their sin that he endured such agony. There are even those who've had the privilege like these soldiers to be so close to the things of Christ. They come to church week after week listening to the message of Christ crucified, observing in their mind's eye what he went through and still they sit indifferent, disinterested, cold and ultimately hardened with no regard for what he went through on their behalf. I wonder am I speaking to someone like that tonight? Friend, with sincerity, I want to tell you that I love you, but I also much must warn you, be careful that in your constant hardness and disregard for Christ that he does not harden your heart. Don't just presume that you can continue to ignore his call or that he will stretch out his hand of mercy forever, for he may not. I think of what was said of Noah's day, the people of Noah's day, and what the Lord said of them. He said this, He said to them, my spirit will not always strive with man. You know what that means in the original Hebrew? My spirit will not always plead the cause. That's why the writer of the Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but soften your heart to him. Friend, it's one thing if you continue to harden your heart to the Lord, but it's another if God hardens his heart to you. Steward, a loving God, the one that we've sang about tonight, would never do such a thing. Think again. Remember Pharaoh in the Exodus story? The Lord, through Moses, held out his offer of mercy to this man. Moses stood day after day, week after week, pleading with Pharaoh, giving him opportunity after opportunity to heed the word of the Lord and let his people go. But Pharaoh refused and continued to harden his heart to God. Finally, the Lord said, Moses, enough is enough. I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart. The results were drastic. He lost everything. The produce in Egypt was destroyed. Their livestock destroyed. Their homes destroyed. Their firstborn sons were destroyed. And ultimately, Pharaoh himself lost his very life and his soul. Like these soldiers, he was so close to the things of God so close to God's people, and yet in his heart he was so far away. It's the same for a man called Judas Iscariot. He was a man who was constantly about the things of God. Do you know that Judas spent three years with the Son of God? Can you imagine it? Judas had God smile upon him. Judas ate with Jesus. Judas slept under the stars with Jesus. Judas walked with Jesus. Judas talked with Jesus. Judas heard some of the greatest sermons that were ever preached. Judas seen some of the greatest miracles that were ever preached. But you know what, friend? In all of that time that he spent with the Lord, he never opened his heart to God. And I know scholars would say, well, Stuart, Judas was always predestined to go to a lost eternity. And I believe that. But you know something? God's sovereignty does not negate man's responsibility. The two go hand in hand. In time, Judas made choices. He chose the love of God, or love of money, over the love of God. <clears throat> One man said, Judas was the man who stood at the gate of heaven and went to hell. And I would go a step further. I would say to you tonight that Judas kissed the gate of heaven and went to hell. Friend, hear me. It's possible to stand at the door of heaven and yet miss out. It's possible to come to church and have God speak to you for a very long time. Like these soldiers, be so close to the things of God, yet in your heart be so far away. I warn you do not harden your heart to the Lord. It's the same for a man called Herod Antipas in Scripture. Here was a man like these soldiers that was so close to the things of God and to the people of God, and yet in his heart so far away. Stuart, how do you know that? Because the scripture tells us that this man, Herod, loved to hear John the Baptist preaching. We're told that John was a, a, a good old-fashioned open-air preacher, he didn't pull any punches. And we're told that not only did Herod enjoy listening to John, but he, he heard him gladly and would have done many things for John. And God was speaking to this man, but yet... God's voice fell silent. How do you know that, Stuart? Well, we're told that when John rebuked Herod for taking his brother's wife to be his wife, that Herod locked John up in prison. And then he has this great birthday party. All of his lords, all of his captains are there. And the wine is flowing. And out comes this young girl, Salome. And she dances this provocative dance called the Dance of the Seven Veals. And we're told that she pleased Herod and all the men that were there greatly. And Herod says this to her, Ask of me what you will, even to the half of my kingdom, and I will give it unto you. And she goes into her. Her mother Herodias, who hated John, she says, What shall I ask for? And Herodias says this: Ask on a silver charger for the head of God's prophet, John the Baptist. And that's exactly what Salome does. And Herod sends to that prison and has the greatest of all the prophets beheaded. And as I've said before, because he did, the word finished speaking to him. How do you know that, Stuart? Because on crucifixion morning, we're told this, that the Lord Jesus was sent by Pilate to Herod's palace, and Herod was delighted to see him. He desired to see him for a long time. He asked Jesus many questions, wanted even him to perform a miracle for him. But we're told this, the one who had so much to say, so many gracious words for other people, that day had nothing more to say to Herod Antipas. Why? Because Herod killed the voice. John was called the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Herod killed the voice. And you know what we're told? The word incarnate had nothing more to say. I wonder, could it be tonight that for someone sitting here, God has been speaking to you for a long time, friend. I want to gently warn you, if you continue to harden your heart, as tragic as it sounds, there may come a time when, like the loving Jesus said to a whole nation, there may come a time when God says to you, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And sitting down, They watched him there so close to the things of God, and yet in their hearts, they were so hardened. But you know, this text shows us how hard the human heart can be towards Christ. It also shows us that the Lord Jesus himself can melt even the hardest of hearts. Would you say amen to that? Told these words, and sitting down, they watched him there. Notice those, those words, they watched him They didn't watch the malefactors either side of Jesus. They didn't watch the religious Jews mocking Jesus. They didn't watch the crowds that were passing by. They watched him. I believe there was something about Christ's conduct that captivated these particular soldiers. They watched him. And you know what? I believe also that what they seen in Christ's conduct, it didn't just impress them at the cross itself, Perhaps it was even earlier that particular morning because think about it, these soldiers would have been at the scourging post first thing that morning. Now, whether they were the soldiers that inflicted the punishment upon the Lord at that scourging post, we do not know. Or whether they were just bystanders watching on. But we know this. The Roman law says that a a man, or sorry, the Jewish law said that a man was to be scourged no more than 39 times. But the Romans never held the Jewish law. The Romans hated the Jews. They just kept scourging and scourging and scourging. And you know, with the soldiers looking on that morning, one of their colleagues came out. He was a man called a lictor. He was trained in the grim art of torture. And I don't want to be too graphic, but what they did with our Lord is that they they brought him to a stump that was about this high. And this lictor, this Roman soldier, he would bring out this baton, thing called a flagellum, and out of the end of the the, the baton would come strips of leather, and on the end of the strips of leather, there was metal, there was bone, and there was glass. And you know, with our Lord's back open to the elements, in a methodical rhythm, time after time, they brought that whip down upon his back until his back was like a ploughed field. Do you know this this form of torture was so barbaric that they give it the nickname, the halfway death. Many men never made it off the whipping post. And yet Isaiah the prophet says of this particular instance, it says he was oppressed and afflicted, forced into submission, and yet he opened not his mouth. They would wonder at him, would you say amen to that? They also watched him in the common hall just after the scourging post. We're told, because it was Passover time, there were thousands of Jews, and uh, Romans in Jerusalem. And with the whole battalion looking on, again, they brought our Lord into this common hall. And they stripped him of his clothes. They put a purple robe on him. And outside, somewhere in Jerusalem, was one of those soldiers, and they were plotting together a crown of thorns. Now, let me put you in the picture. Our thorn is about... An inch, an inch long, but the Jerusalem thorn, brothers and sisters, was about six inches long. They took a crown of them, put them together, and they plotted it. they plotted pushed it down into his lovely head. They put a reed in his hand, and they put a blindfold on Christ, and they began to beat him, they began to slap him, they began to mock him, they began to spit upon him, and they said this, prophesy unto us the Christ, who is it that smites you? yet Isaiah the prophet says this, as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before her shears is dumb, yet he opened not his mouth. The Lord stood completely silent. Why? Because he had to go all the way to Calvary to pay for my sin and to pay for yours. Isn't he a wonderful savior tonight? Do you know what I think's amazing about his silence here? The night before when Peter would take out his sword to cut off the, the ear of the high priest's servant Malchus, The Lord says, Peter, put away your sword. Those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. Do you not know that I can presently pray to my father and he would give me more than 12 legions of angels? Do you know how many angels that was, brothers and sisters? 72,000 angels. Now let me put you in the picture again. One of those angels in the Old Testament in the days of Hezekiah was sent out to kill 185,000 of the Assyrian soldiers. Those Romans wouldn't have stood a chance. And yet here Christ stands before this whole band completely silent. These soldiers would wonder at his silence. And yet we're told this. They were there at the crucifixion site. Luke's account tells us this, that they crucified the Lord Jesus. And Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing fulfilling the words of the prophet Isaiah who said, he made intercession for the transgressors. And you know, theologians tell me that this word, these words, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He they didn't just say it once. They say that he would have been saying it over and over and over again. So as they, they lay the cross beam down, and reverently speaking, they would nail our Lord's hands to that crossbeam. They can hear, hear our Lord within earshot saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As they lift the crossbeam up into the air, dropping it into its place, he's looking down upon them and they can hear him saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As they watch as mother's looking on and they're gambling for his garments. He's still praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you know something? Many theologians tell me that the, the crucifixion site was outside Jerusalem on the north. Thousands of pilgrims were coming in and out of the city for the special Passover. And while Jesus is on the cross, they were saying, look, at the, it's, it's the one who said he could destroy the temple and build it in three days again. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. They're mocking him. And Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's the religious Jews are standing around the cross saying, Look, he says he's the Christ. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross and we will believe you. And perhaps he's praying for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And even the malefactors are both mocking him. If you're the son of God, save yourself and us. And he's still praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They would stop these soldiers and they would watch him. And then we're told this. We're told that one of these thieves either side of Jesus has a change of heart. And he turns to his friend who continues mocking and he says this. He said, leave him alone. Do you not fear God? And here this, this thief professes that he believes in a judgment day. He says, we are getting what we deserve, but this man, Jesus, he has done nothing wrong. There he speaks of Christ's innocence. And then he says this. He said, Lord, here he speaks of Christ's lordship and divinity. Remember me, here he cries for mercy. When you come into your kingdom, hold on a wee second. Dying men on crosses don't usually have kingdoms, but this thief believed that Jesus was the eternal son of God and he had an eternal kingdom. Now, what does Jesus say in response? Look at the way you've spoken to me. Look at the life that you've led. There's no way that I'm ever going to forgive you. Is that what Jesus said? No, amazingly, after all that's been said to him and all that's been done on him, all the mockery, Jesus turns to this thief and he says, Assuredly, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. One man said, One thief was saved, so that no one might despair, but only one so that no one might presume. These soldiers watched the Lord turn this man from a lamb or from a woof to a lamb in seconds. And then, brothers and sisters, there's a flow in the narrative because we're told that as the Roman soldiers are gambling for Christ's seamless robe, we're told that they're stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. Can't you see Mary? Mary is completely crestfallen. Do you know when I think about Mary and what she went through at the cross that day, my heart and my mind goes to Luke chapter 2. Because we're told after the eighth day, Mary and Joseph brought the young Jesus to the temple to be dedicated to his father. But there was in Jerusalem during those days a man called Simeon, and he'd been promised through the Spirit that he would not depart of this world until his eyes had seen the Lord's Christ. And so Mary and Joseph come with Jesus, and Simeon comes into the temple in the Spirit, and he takes the young Christ in his arms, and he says, Lord, now your servant can depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen your salvation as set for the ends of the earth. And then he turns to Mary and he says, Know this this child is set for the rising and fall of many in Israel. Many hearts will be revealed by his ministry. But then he goes on to say this, one day, Mary, a sword is going to pass through your very soul. And you know what, brothers and sisters and friend tonight, as she stood at the cross, this came to pass. A sword did pass through her soul. And then in that moment, we're told this, that as she stands there completely crestfallen, loving her son, that Jesus looks down from the cross in his agony, and he says this, he says, woman, behold your son, looking to John. And he says, son, John, behold your mother. Isn't that wonderful? Even in his dying breath, he's looking after his parent. These soldiers would look on in amazement. Do you know why? Because don't forget, these are hardened men. Their, their ears have grown dull to, the, to the, the cursings of their victims. Their hearts have grown hard to dying men. They'd seen it many, many times. But I'll tell you this much. They had never heard words like this coming from a man dying on a Roman cross. And sitting down, they watched him there. So they seen Christ's conduct. And it was melting their hearts. But then not only did they see his conduct as I come to a close, they also seen his control. His control over the elements, yes, but also his control over death itself. We're told that from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land, from 12 o'clock in the afternoon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There was darkness, as if the sun was refusing to shine out of reverence for its creator. It's as if the sun said, Well, if those around the cross will not reverence you, I will reverence you. There's darkness. The crowds that went into the city to prepare for the Sabbath and the Passover. There's only a few lonely figures by the cross. There's the centurions. There's Mary, his mother. There's John, the beloved disciple. Mary Magdalene and a few other ladies stand at a distance. And out of the darkness comes a cry from the Lord Jesus. This is the cry Eli, Eli, Lammas, the which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You mark me up until this time, brothers and sisters and friends, any time you hear Jesus addressing heaven, he also always prays Father, but not at this point. He says, my God, my God, fulfilling um, Psalm 22, I think it is. It's as if he's praying, Father, where are you? Father, I need you. And at that moment, in time and for the only time in all of eternity, something awesome took place. The fellowship between the Father and the Son in some shape or form, and don't ask me to explain it, I simply cannot, but it was broken down. Do you know why? Because as the Father looked upon that son at that cross, he no longer seen his Son, he only seen the curse. Cursed as anyone who hangs on a tree. He was being a curse so that we could go free. Isn't he a wonderful Savior? And that's what Christ did for each one of us. Christ became what the scriptures call a propitiation, an object to bear away the wrath of God towards sin and the sinner. So here's the wrath of God on one side. Here is us, the sinner, and the wrath of God's coming towards us, but Jesus stands in the middle and he dispels the wrath of God. He's separated for that time so that we never have to be. He's a wonderful savior. These soldiers watched all of this. And then after this, there's three more signs. As I come to a close, Jesus goes on to say this, I am thirsty. Isn't that remarkable? The one who is known as the fountain of living water, the one who quenches the thirst of millions, himself could say, I'm thirsty. We're told that there was someone around the cross that brought a hyssop branch, a sponge, sour wine and vinegar. It was supposed to numb the pain but they offered it to him, and when he tasted of it, he would not drink. And then, after this, there's, there's another saying, and this is what he said, and I love this. He said, Tetalestes, which means it is finished, paid in full. Notice he didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. Salvation's work is finished. Would you say, praise the Lord tonight? It is finished. And you know, brothers and sisters, that's why we believe in faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone. Because when you add anything to what he has said, then it steals the glory from Christ. Would you say amen to that? It is finished. And at that moment, the veil of the temple is torn in two. From top to the bottom, to, to signify that the way had been made into the Holy of Holies for man to compute, commune with this holy God. And then, after he's completed the work of salvation, he says these final words He says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. These soldiers watched him even have control over his very death. And do you know what it was doing? It was changing their hearts. How do you know it would change their hearts, Stuart? Because the gospel tells us that when they, and not just the main centurion, but all of his friends, when they seen the earthquake that had taken place, the rocks torn in two, after he said it's finished, when they seen that and, and all of the things that had happened that day, the conduct of Jesus and the control of Jesus were told that the centurion pointed to Jesus and he said, surely this man is the son of God. He melted their hearts. So you know, I often wonder whether those soldiers went on to serve Christ. Legend says that they did. But we cannot know for sure. But one thing I do know is that after being at the cross that day, their lives would never be the same again. And sitting down, they watched him there. It speaks of the hardness of the heart, but it also speaks of how Christ can melt even the hardest of hearts. Footnote as I close, and thanks for your attention. And sitting down, they watched him there. Do you know what it speaks of, brothers and sisters and friends? It speaks of the location, Calvary. These ignorant soldiers were completely unaware that they were sitting at the foot of the greatest event in history, an event that prophets, priests, and kings would have given anything just to get a glimpse of. What a privileged few men they were. But can I leave you with this thought? If they were privileged, how privileged are you tonight? because you get again in this beautiful night to sit in this church and hear the message of Christ crucified and think about in your mind's eye what he has done for you. You know, one man said that no man should get to hear the gospel twice until everybody's heard it once. Many people in the farthest corners of this world have never heard the gospel, and yet God has brought you here tonight so that you can hear the message of love in Jesus Christ. I wonder what it's doing to you, friend, tonight. As I close, I'm thinking about Lamentations chapter one, verse 12. The prophet Jeremiah, under the spirit of prophecy, he gives us a, a viewpoint of how the Lord himself, even from the cross, viewed the people that he looked upon. You know what the prophet says? He says these words, is it anything to you? All who pass by, as you look upon my suffering, see that there's no suffering like it. And you know the reality is, it was nothing to the Jews. It meant nothing to them. They mocked him, they scorned him, they hardened their hearts towards him. But I want to ask you tonight, friend, what does it mean to you? In the light of what Christ has done for you, will you go on in your backsliddenness? Will you go on in your hardness of heart? Will you go on with a lukewarm experience? Or will you say tonight, no, I'm coming to him for this man. Surely this man is the son of God. I finish with this, but see the night I get saved on the 3rd of September, 1995, in the White Whale Church. I want to say to you, it wasn't so much the judgment of God that drew me that night. Do you know what it was? Metaphorically speaking, as I looked in my mind's eye to Calvary, it was the love of Christ that melted my heart. I tell you, he's a wonderful Savior tonight. And sitting down, they watched him there. Is God speaking to you, friend? I pray that you would surrender to the Lord tonight. Thank you so much for your attention. Let's pray. Let's just bow in prayer. while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, I want to ask a question. What does it mean to you? Christian, what does it mean to you? I tell you something, he's worth serving. He's worth giving your all for. He's a wonderful savior. But if you're not saved tonight, what does it mean to you? Will you continue to harden your heart? Be careful. Because God may pass you by. But is God melting your heart tonight? I want to give you an invitation. Would you come to the Lord Jesus? While every head's bowed and every eye's closed, on the 3rd of September, 1995, Pastor James McConnell gave me, a young man, a 17-year-old, an opportunity to come to the Lord. And I want to ask, is there someone here tonight and you want to come to Jesus? You've seen him and you want to surrender to him. Would you lift your hand, take it down again, we'll see it and we'll pray for you. Is there one? not going to prolong the appeal, but I just want to give an opportunity. Is there one person tonight and you need to get saved? There's a lady. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that young lady. Is God speaking to someone else here tonight? One young woman has had the courage of her convictions to come to the Lord. Is there somebody else, a young man perhaps, and you want to get saved tonight? Quickly and quietly, is there someone else? Thank God for that lady. Is there someone else tonight? Well, okay, friend, I want to leave that issue with you, but I wonder for that young woman, could we pray this prayer? Pray it after me. And you who responded, pray it as well from your heart, and the Lord will hear you. The Bible says, they who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray it. Father, I come to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have seen his love for me tonight and it's melted my heart. I want to respond by giving him my life. I pray, would you give me the courage to tell my friends and to tell my loved ones that I have now pledged my allegiance to the Christ of Calvary. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for receiving me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and give me a passion for Jesus. We ask these things for Jesus' name's sake. And all of God's people say it tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks so much. I know it's warm. Thanks for your attention. But you know what the Bible says? There is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. Isn't that wonderful? Come on, let's give the Lord the glory tonight. Praise the Lord. God bless you.